Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Genesis 2022 and Luke 5. Father God, thank you for this morning. Help us keep our minds open as our eyes are open. And God, teach us. Give us the understanding that you desire us to have about these beautiful things, interesting things, and sometimes very challenging things we see in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 20. Now Abraham journeyed from the, there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Sur. Then he sojourned to Gerar. Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart that you have done this, and so I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, She actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show me. Everywhere I go, say to me, he is my brother. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, and before all men you are cleared. 
Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and maids so that they bore children. The Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Chapter 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God has spoken to him. Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abram, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said that Abraham... Or who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid should not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her to the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad. And hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew. And he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show me 
and to the land of which you have sojourned. Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear it until today. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. Then Abraham sent seven ewe lambs and a flock by themselves. Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewes and lambs mean which you have sent by themselves? And he said, You shall take these seven ewes from my hand so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba because there the two of them took an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. And Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Verse 34, And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Chapter 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abram raised his eyes and saw the place at a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I, will, I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, saying, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, 
By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now it came about after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah was born children to his son Nahor. Uz the firstborn, and Buzz his brother, and Kemuel the father of Aram. Kemuel, the, the father of Aram. And Chesed, and Ezo, and Fildash, and Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Naor. Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also bore Teba, and Gam, and Tash, and Maka. These three chapters here really encompass a lot of what's going on in, in Abraham's life. You see one of the drastic uh, mistakes of Abraham's life followed by his great, greatest act of faith. Abraham goes deck. He's there around this pagan king, and he's afraid that his wife, <laughs> in her retirement years, we should say, is so beautiful that this king is going to take her as his own and kill him. As we learned before, they, they, they respected marriage so much that if you're going to commit adultery, the only thing you could do to preserve the integrity of marriage is kill the husband and then take the wife and then it was okay. So this is what there was common practice and Abraham was very fearful of this and uh, knowing this could happen at any moment. So he lies, white lie, whatever. So uh, he's found out what's a phenomenal to me is Abimelech gets talked to by God in a dream and he's not completely transformed or in fear just by the dream. She's, you know, he's complaining to God, hey, and my integrity, I didn't do anything to her. You know, I didn't touch her. And uh, don't judge me for that. You would think that if you had encountered the God of the universe, the God that you're not worshiping, and you meet him and he speaks to you in a dream, you might go, whoa, I'm undone. I am, I'm a sinner. And please don't kill me because I'm speaking to my creator you would think it would transform his life more than his actions with Abraham's wife, but that's just me. Somehow God speaks to him in a dream, and he is having this conversation with God, and God says, okay, I'm not going to, I didn't let you touch her, and I'm going to go ahead and forgive you. you. You didn't mean to do what you meant to do. So you see this transformation of the, the relationship between Abraham and Abimelech, you see everything's restored to Abraham. It's part of the way that he gets a lot of his wealth. He comes in and he gets a lot of this stuff and he goes to Beersheba and he makes this covenant and he's established with his wife. And, and so it's phenomenal because it seems this is also a potential attack upon the, the coming 
Messiah in one way, because remember God promised Abraham previous that, that they would have a son, and now Abraham's going to allow his wife to go be the wife of another man, which would produce potentially a son from him and not from Abraham, even though at this point she was barren. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's very interesting that the enemy seemed to have understood that having offspring from Abraham was not a good thing. And so we see this attempt, if you would, to contaminate the gene pool of Abraham right from the very beginning. And just as even from the days of Noah, when they come out the ark and before, there's this attempt to contaminate the gene pool of God's plan. It's really interesting how this pulls together. But Abraham does wake up. Obviously, I would imagine, says, sorry, Lord, I really blew that one. That wasn't very smart. And then establishes himself in Beersheba. And the next thing we see now, fast forward, that God allows Abraham to have a son. And uh, he has Isaac. Of course, he has Hagar. Hagar has her own son. And God blesses Hagar. She goes through her whole ordeal. And she calls on God, and he being an Egyptian, and God hears her and keeps her son from death. Interesting, you really have the, the half-brothers, in a sense, both experience a near-death experience. Ishmael is almost offered up in the desert in one sense, but God saves him miraculously providing a well for the mom, and he survives and lives in the desert. Isaac, who God makes it very clear, is his only son. Again, the only son that God recognizes because this is the wife of Abraham and Sarah, his full wife. He goes with his father, and it's a phenomenal, the most famous of the stories, of course. They go to Moriah, which we believe is where Jesus later goes and becomes a place where God offers up for himself. A sacrifice, his own son, on the same place, on the same rock. So we believe, so it seems to be recorded in history. So they go there, that's why they had to travel three days, that's why they had to go to that one place. It was acting out prophecy that there would be the Son of God that would come and offer up and be offered up on the altar for the sins of mankind, not just for the sin of one man and his, his family, of the entire mankind. And so there they go. And, and we always think of Isaac as being a little guy, you know, six years old or something. He was a big guy. This is many years later. He was grown. He was able to carry the firewood. He's a pretty big guy. Some people think he's well past 20. Uh, there's debate on his age here. But he was certainly strong enough to overpower old man Abraham. But he doesn't. He is, he is obedient. There's a lot here that can be said about the faith of Isaac, as well as the faith of Abraham, where he willingly allows his father to bind him and lays down on the altar. And Abraham, and probably Isaac, I would guess, I don't know, had the faith to believe that if God was a creative life, he could take life and give it back. Abraham certainly believed that because he said, me and my son, son and I will go over there and worship it. We will come back. I don't think he was lying there. 
He's going, well, Lord, I guess you want to show me what resurrection looks like because I have to slay my son. You're going to raise him back up. Something to that degree. It's an amazing step that Abraham takes of faith. And then, of course, we see God do this amazing thing by holding back his hand just to make sure that he was willing to give everything, not hold anything back, and then blesses him abundantly. And, of course, the spiritual lesson for us, we're not to hold things back for the Lord. We are to dedicate all things that we have for yours, Lord. I don't want to hold them back. And if the Lord is taking our kids into... uh, and phenomenal uh, opportunities where somehow he's going to be glorified. He's, they're going to be used for the benefit of people and hopefully for the ministry, for the benefit of people's spiritual lives. Sometimes we're going to let them go. Maybe God's going to call our kids out of our home to go up to <laughs> Italy and be a missionary, whatever it is. You know, you say, Lord, they're yours. Bless them, use them. And you rejoice that God will then, you can... You can trust him that he is going to do the right thing with all that we own. Luke chapter 5. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gesenareth. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking and said, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him, and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Verse 12, While he was In one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee 
and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some of the men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to this paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. Verse 27. After he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind, got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. And he was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skin and ruined. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new for he says, the old is good enough. Jesus going on into the ministry, as we're seeing the development chronologically, of going into the synagogue, speaking, saying who he is, going, he's, that he's going to go healing to show that he is what all the prophecies said he would be, the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And now we see him calling his disciples, course gathering them around and the miracles continue we see the this power over all of nature and the world as he can call up fish you know into the nets 
and bring them forth. And these fishermen who are really know fishing well have never seen a catch like this, so they know it's miraculous, and that's why they fall on their face and, and realize in the presence of, well, if not the Messiah, someone from God. And then we see this ministry of Jesus going out and preaching and how this we have this phenomenal story of the, the paralytic which is healed, which is left let down through the tiles of the roof. Big stone tiles. We've seen them in Israel. Pretty phenomenal how they laid them up there over these wooden beams and they're pretty heavy. You had to big move these things. And they lower them down and what's phenomenal is, is um, Jesus sees the faith of the people bringing the paralytic and it's really their, by their faith that Jesus says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And this whole conversation of the sins, well, what's easier to say, the sins are forgiven to rise up and walk. It wasn't about which is physically easier to say, in a sense. Maybe he was making a kind of a play on words. I'm not sure. But the, the issue was which... Um, Jesus was, was making, a, I guess, a statement that it doesn't matter which phrase I use, the, the words weren't the thing that it was, his, it was his power, his divinity that was healing this person. They, th they thought no man has the power to forgive sins. And Jesus was agreeing with that. So by saying which is easier, your sins are forgiven to rise up and walk, um, it could have actually been easier to say rise up and walk rather than your sins are forgiven. But he said, so that you will know that I'm not mere mortal. I'm not just a man. I'm the man, I am a man and divinity combined. He says, take up your pallet and walk. So they get the benefit of hearing both. Your sins are forgiven and rise up and walk. So they understand, they get the idea was that they wouldn't understand. This first question was get to get them in their minds to say, hey, no mortal can make that profession. No mere human can forgive sins. And the rise up and walk and seeing that happen was the demonstration to them physically that what happened externally, a healing of what was considered Someone who was crippled was also considered a sinner. They were considered to have been cursed to God or did something horrible. And to have, see them rise up and walk would actually have been a physical manifestation of forgiveness. Remember, they, they had that conversation, who sinned, this man or this, his parents, when the, the, with the blind person, oftentimes a physical infirmity. Would, and so this would have been a, an amazing revelation. It would have been shocking. It would have caused them to fall into fear. This person can forgive sins. See, the bigger th issue was not that he could make someone walk, but the fact that he could forgive sins. To a Pharisee, there was no greater power, no greater um, demonstration of divinity than that. Charles Spurgeon now, as we move on, mouth, confession, heart, belief. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
Romans 10.9. There must be confession with the mouth. Have I made it? Have I openly allowed my faith in Jesus as Savior, whom God has raised from the dead? And have I done it in God's way? Let me honestly answer this question. There must also be belief in the heart. Do I sincerely believe in the risen Lord Jesus? Do I trust in him as my sole hope of salvation? Is this trust from my heart? Let me answer as before God. If I can truly claim that I have both confessed Jesus and believed in him, then I am saved. The text does not say, it may be so, but it is plain as a pike staff and clear as the sun in the heavens. Thou shalt be saved as a believer and a confessor. I may lay my head on this promise and plead it before the Lord God at this moment and throughout life. And in the hours or the hour of death and at the day of judgment, I must be saved from the guilt of sin, the power of sin, the punishment of sin, and ultimately from the very being of sin. God hath said it, thou shalt be saved. I believe it, I shall be saved. I am saved. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. We are saved. The glorious news of the believer that can stand up in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation and say, I am saved. I know I am forgiven and I know where I'm going because I have confessed with my mouth and I have believed in my heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that he went willingly to Mount Moriah and that he allowed himself to be bound and then was taken and nailed to the cross, that he allowed himself to be laid on the altar for us and then be crucified, to be sacrificed, and that his blood then makes atonement, that his blood then is the propitiation, the way by which God's wrath and judgment on sin becomes satisfied, his judgment is satisfied, and it becomes then the means by which we can avert the judgment why he came, why Abraham traveled those three days with Isaac, why we see over and over these attempts to stop the line of the Messiah. Phenomenal. The gospel is never boring. And it is never boring for us to reflect every morning as we get up and say, thank you, Lord, that I know no matter what happens that I'm saved. And when I do blow it, when I do make mistakes like Abraham and go do dumb things and things that I but I'm not trusting you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your cleansing power and restoring me when I come before you and admit that. And so that's the good news that we all hold to. Father, thank you for this morning and for guiding us, as you always do, into your presence and showing us these marvelous truths. Thank you, God, that you are the God of our salvation and that we know who we are in Christ. And I pray, God, that for any new people that come and listen to the program and listen to the time we spend together, if they've not had that experience, that you would touch their hearts in a profound way as they come before you humbly 
as Charles Spurgeon would say, come before you and, and let you examine their hearts and come to the point of faith where they say, I believe it. I believe you did die. And I confess that. God touched their lives and bring in a new birth. Give them a new heart. Help them, God, to have a phenomenal new beginning to their life. And then guide them. Bring them to this those still waters and let them drink deep of your word. Feed them, God, so they become strong. For those of us, God, that need refreshing, give us the refreshment of your water. Refresh and restore us unto our salvation, that the knowledge that we are yours. And God, as we need to the, the touch of your healing physically, do that, God. We love the fact that you heal inwardly and outwardly, as you did with the paralytic. So continue to do that, Father. We still believe that you do it, and you, we know you do. We've seen it. We know it to be true. So touch my brothers and sisters that need that today, that have that persistent thing that's going on, that cancer cell that needs to be killed off, and God used the medicine, but supernaturally fortify it, touch it, and may they be brought into wholeness. We pray for healing of those dealing with emotional trauma in their life, that you would be their strong tower, that you'd be ministering to them so they know your reality and know your love for them and the difficulties and difficult situations they're going through, especially when it's regarding someone else that they love, that they've seen go on to be with you or dealing with a sickness or something else. Father, there are so many things which the enemy is always trying to beat us down and discourage us. But God, we know that you can us in all things. So we look to you for that. Thank you, Father, and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Our mm -hmm.